Thank you, choir. Um, that song uh, is a song of weakness. Um, that's why it's a good song. Uh, uh, because it talks about our weakness. And I know that most of us don't like that. Um, we work really hard at trying not to be weak. Um, and yet if we understood how this all works is that God is supposed to be the one that is strong. We are supposed to be the one who is weak. And in our our struggles, uh, he is the one that is to receive all the glory and goodness for uh, us making it through. And so he carries us. And so a sweet song of reminder. Speaking of weakness, um, our father's Bible study is starting up again. Uh, I, I say weakness is because fathers want to be strong, but we struggle. And so we have a Bible study that talks about what it is to be a father. And so we're going to be meeting Wednesdays this year uh, or this uh, season, uh, Wednesdays at 6 6 a.m. in the morning at Primo Burgers. Uh, if you want to start out your day with a nice burger, come on in to Primo Burgers at 6 a.m. Uh, and uh, it will also we'll have a second one that evening, Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock here in room 2. So I just encourage you fathers, I know we've been talking about parenting the last few weeks in the book of Proverbs and how this relates, and some of you have uh, confessed to me that you struggle in these areas, and we want to be encouragement to you as you seek to build relationship with your kids and be the man that God wants you to be. This morning, uh, if you want to turn in your uh, Bibles to the book of Obadiah, serious, Obadiah, it's one of the minor prophets, Uh, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. You have an index in your Bible. Go ahead, use it. It was paid for. Uh, um, I wanted. I was considering naming the title of this. I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing voices, and the voices that I, I think about are the voices that shape our world. Uh, a lot of times, we wonder. Well. Uh, what will my friends think if I do this? Uh, how do my friends think about this? And maybe I should think like my friends do. Or maybe I, I should think, well, how, how does the rest of the great city of Tehachapi think about this issue? And maybe I should think that way too. Maybe you consider, uh, you know, you, you have uh, your mom or dad, uh, their voices in your head all the time. And you say, what will my dad think? What would he say? What would my mom say? Or even worse yet, what would my grandmother say about this? Um, and, and we struggle with these voices in our head. Some of you are so secure that you don't struggle with that. And the only thing you ask when it comes to an issue is, what do I think? Because I'm the most important. This morning, we're going to try to shove all that aside. And really, uh, in the next messages, in the next couple of months, Move some of those things aside, and we want to hear from God. We want to hear from God. And we're going to look at some messages. This is a book that's called The Minor Prophet, but when you hear that word minor, uh, be careful not to think insignificant, uh, because this morning as we look to the book of Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament, uh, we'll see that the message is not insignificant at all. Uh, 
we won't probably be going through the book of Malachi, but I shared with it months ago, from it months ago, that one of the big issues in the book of Malachi is the relationship of children to their fathers. And at the end of the book of Malachi, he says, you know, it's impending doom and judgment will come unless they hear from God. They hear from God. And this morning, uh, I hope that's a connection for us that some of the things that we are doing personally, uh, judgment will come apart from us hearing from God. I also want to share with you uh, from the book of Proverbs, we've heard over and over again uh, about pride. And this morning, we're going to hear about pride again from the book of Obadiah. If you're there and you would, please stand in honor of God's word as I read to you from the book of Obadiah. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, uh, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report uh, from the Lord, uh, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you will live in the you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not only steal enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that, from, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah and the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, 
So all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had, they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble. And they shall burn. Burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. And those of Shalephla shall possess the land of Philistines. You like that one? Um, And they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of, of his hosts of people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites, as far as that word. Um, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in that other word, uh, shall possess the cities of Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. God, I ask that in these moments as we look at your word, this message, I pray that we hear it clearly and that you remove any awful thing in us, any sinful thing in us. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. Confess to you, this is the first time I've ever preached uh, from the book of Obadiah. Maybe the last. Um, God's word is clear. Um, we're we're going to look at some of the minor prophets in the next couple of months and seek to find the heart of God. We have so many voices telling us what to think and how to act and what, you know, we're pushed and pulled and shoved. And, and so often we, we fail to hear what God has to say. If you look at this book, uh, the book of Obadiah, we don't, we're not exactly sure who Obadiah was, not much about him. Uh, it was a common name. There were over 20 instances and uh, a number of different Obadiahs in the Old Testament. Uh, maybe next year, uh, 2013, that will be one of the great names to name your son uh, Obadiah, um, which I think would be great. Um, if you look at the book of Obadiah, it's a message that God gave to him, and it's for Edom, for Edom. Uh, Edom uh, is a country, a nation, uh, that you look at the Dead Sea and go south, you can turn there. In your Bibles, most of them have a map, and if you go to the Dead Sea and you go southeast, that is the area of Edom on your Old Testament map. It's modern-day Jordan, um, actually. Edom, uh, the other word you'll find in there is Esau, Esau. And Esau and Edom are two of the same names. If you look uh, in Genesis chapter 25, uh, there's two sons born, Jacob and Esau. They're twins. And Esau is called the red one because of his skin being red, and it says that about him. And then later on, uh, as Esau has his birthright. He sells it to his brother Jacob in the book of Genesis for some red stew. 
And from that, from those instances, uh, a nation is born, Edom, which means red, which means red, the red people. Um, as you, as we look at this book today, I want to warn you that you may be saying in your mind as we go through this that God can't do that. God can't do that. It's wrong for him to pronounce judgment like this. It seems mean. In fact, in uh, the way we use today, you might even say that God is a hater the way he is treating these people. But I want to tell you, I want to warn you in your own heart to just let God speak. Let God speak. And to realize that God is the one who is over all. He is the Holy One. And so as he pronounces that, we must deal with it and change accordingly, not try to change God and our perception of him. The backdrop of the, the book of Obadiah is the destruction of Jerusalem. And really there were at least four different times where Jerusalem was invaded and destroyed to one degree or another. And as that being the backdrop, you have these two brother nations Jacob and Esau, always being at odds with one another. And so as the destruction of Jerusalem, of God's people, the nation of Edom would cheer and participate and uh, be glad at their downfall. And so uh, we look at this and we see that God pronounces judgment on Edom. Verse 1. The Lord God concerning Edom. And he says, we, we have heard this report. A messenger has been sent among the nations. When you see that term among the nations, many times and most of the time, it's the picture of you have God's people and then you have the nations of which we could be considered one of the nations today, uh, the United States. And uh, it, all of the nations have relationship one to the other. They're either at odds with one another. They're seeking uh, to bring each other's downfall or gain superiority over them. And so as we think about that, I'm coming apart here. As we think about that term, the nations, multitasking, um, that term the nations, it's the idea that there are nations outside of God's people and they have, they have two responses to God. One, they either give up who they are to gain who God is or they reject Him. It's the reality of all of us here today, right? We either reject that God is over us or we accept that and live accordingly. And so as we, we start out this book, there's a message that's been sent throughout the nations. And what's that message? The, the message is this in verse, end of verse 1. Rise up, let's go out against her for battle. It's a rallying cry to the nations. Let's go get Edom. Let's go, let's go take them out. The nations rise up. And we struggle with this. Um, who does God use? Who does God use? Think about that question in their mind, your mind right now. Who does God use? God uses godly people, right? He uses godly people, uh, godly nations against ungodly nations, right? Sometimes. 
Sometimes he does. Uh, we could find that in the Old Testament. You know what we can also find in the Old Testament? That God's people, one group of God's people, goes to another group of God's people and straightens them out. He uses God's people with God's people. That's the way God works. He sometimes uses God's people against ungodly people to, for his purposes and his plan. But you know what he also does? This is probably the hardest one for us to get to. Sometimes... There are times and captivities and things in the Old Testament where God has taken ungodly people, God-haters. They didn't know about it. I mean, they knew they hated God, but they didn't know that they were being used. And God uses ungodly people against his own people for his purposes. And this, it gets even more confusing. Because now God has a plan that he's working out, and he's taking people that aren't his people and using them on other people that aren't his people, okay? And I look at this and I go, we, we want to put it in such simple terms where God uses godly people to work out his plan. And the reality is he's always working his plan out using everybody for his purposes. Some are doing it because of obedience and they realize that they are under him and other people are doing it, shaking an angry fist at God saying, I'm not going to do anything you want me to. And he says, oh, yes, you are. You just won't know about it. And this is what's happening in this. We have nations against nation. Edom. As we look at this, we need to understand what is it that God is so angry about. It's important to get that, isn't it? If you think about your life right now and you, you realize that you're doing things, that you want to know what God thinks of your attitudes and actions. You want to know, you want to hear from Him. And so this morning... Um, we need to ask the question, what is God saying? And what does that say about him? Verse 2 says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. I'll make you small. You shall be utterly despised. Verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you. Let's stop there. How big, you know, as sins go... Is, is pride a big one or a small one? You, we, I'm glad you said it's a big one because it is a big one. The whole uh, book of Obadiah is about pride. But how big is it in your life as a sin? For most of us, the way we look at pride, it's the acceptable sin. We can be full of ourselves. In fact, it's just self-confidence, right? Uh, we can... Uh, think of ourselves as better, and that's just we just have a good work ethic, right? Uh, we can think of ourselves as smarter than anybody in the room, and that's just because we're educated and we've worked hard to get our education. Most of the time when we think about pride, it's like that 10 pounds that we're going to lose. We'll get to it someday. It's, important, it's bad. We'll get to it someday, you know. Someday down the road, we'll, we'll take care of that. It's not that big of a deal. It's, it's bad, but it's not that bad. This morning, as we look at the pride of Edom, uh, 
We need to see it in full force as God sees it. We need to hear his message that says, this is what I think about pride. We learned something else about pride in verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. It's deceived you. Uh, That's what pride does. That's what pride does. When we are filled with pride, we have an overestimation of ourselves. We see ourselves not as we are, but as we think we are or want to be. Or um, really, we believe it. Uh, But it's deception. And for Edom, they were deceived by their own pride. I remember, you know, some of you, some of you work out, you work out, you go to the gym. And I'm not talking about those little sissy things where you just walk and walk and walk and you don't get anywhere. I'm talking about some of you pump iron, you know, you pump iron, you put the weights on. And and pretty much every weight room that I've gone into, you know what they have? Mirrors. And you know why you have mirrors? To see how awesome you are. You know, to flex in the mirror and to be able to see just how amazing you are. The, the picture there is that, that Edom had created this deception in their own heart, that they had overestimated themselves. And what did God say? I'm going to make you small. You think you're awesome. You think you're great and big and mighty. But I am going to make you small. It's interesting, most of you brag. Uh, some of you aren't subtle enough, and you, you just need to grow in your bragging and your pride. It just slips out in your, 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 it slips out of your mouth. But most of us, those of us who are been working on it a little bit longer, it's just pride that we say these things in our heart, right? If you look here, that's what Edom did. This pride had deceived them. He says, you live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? In their hearts, they're saying, who's going to bring me down to the ground? You, you may wonder, what, what was the big deal? Why were they so proud? There's a few things about their pride. You may have noticed in verse 3, it says, you live in the clefts of the rock. In the particular region for much of Edom, the territory, uh, it's jagged rocks. In fact, there's a city, Petra, which was their uh, capital city. And it, they lived high up on the hill. And so if you think strategically with armies, the idea of living high up on the hill, it's easy to defend. But not just that, that they had, it was jagged rocks where they lived and they lived in uh, sections up there that were hard to get to. And you said, boy, they're safe. They're safe. And in their pride, they thought to themselves, you know, no one can get to us. Who, who could bring us down? We find out later that they also had allies all around them where they had made, met made treaties with them, and they they knew that they were safe on their borders. It's not just that, that they prided themselves and were known to be the smartest and the wisest of people. And combining all this together, they said, "Who, who could bring us down? This morning, um, I don't believe uh, that a primary purpose for us would be to talk about our nation. 
Some of you are already uh, too politically wound up this morning. You know who you are. Your spouse knows who you are as well. Uh, And maybe everyone on Facebook that you've been posting all these angry political rants. Um, There are some correlations. There are some correlations. The question, who could bring us down? Who could bring us down? I want to tell you uh, the heart of pride, the heart of pride, this is what God thinks of it. For us to, to feel comfortable to say, I am justified, to, to, to talk freely about how stupid everyone else is around us, the idea that we are superior in who we are to all those around us, whether they be in our home, our marriage, our children, our family members, our community, our country, our world, that we would say that we are better. The same heart of pride that was in Edom that says, who could bring us down? I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever been to Edom? You have. Have you ever spoken to an Edomite? You ever been to their Congress when they meet? Have you ever eaten in a good Edomite restaurant? I think they serve stew. So we'll, we'll pick that up later, but think about that. In verse 4, we hear something important. He says, Though you soar aloft like an eagle, that's where you live. Though you nest set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Now that answers the question now, doesn't it? The question of their heart is, who will bring us down? Implying there's no one that can bring us down. Oh, we found someone. It's the Lord. The danger of pride that Proverbs warns us about, the destruction. Pride is never just simply this way, one to another. It's saying, I am great, I am great, and God, I don't need you. I don't need you. That's what your pride says. It's I'm good in and of myself. I have estimated my worth and I am more than enough. The danger of pride is it pits itself against the God of the universe. And he says, uh, I'll be the one. You are wondering who it would be that would bring you down. I will be the one to bring you down. In verse 5, it describes something similar that you could equate with. And the Edomites would have known. In fact, they probably feared that if thieves came to you, if plunders came by night, How would you have been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? You know, um, when robbers would come to your home, what would they take? What would they take? Um, Would they take everything or just some things? Well, they'd take some things, right? Because most of your junk isn't worth hauling out the door, right? They They would pick and choose. They would look at it and they would say, Oh, uh, I can only carry this. I'm going to grab the valuables and go. And he says, that's what thieves do. You know about thieves. He also talks, he goes right into, uh, end of verse 5, if grape gatherers came to you, would they still not leave gleanings? The picture is, 
now of a grape uh, harvester and speed is important and good fruit and so they're looking for the best fruit and they're they're uh harvesting and they're going and they're harvesting and oh that's not so good there's not much there and and they would leave stuff behind because they were just gathering that which is best you see that's what thieves and grape gatherers do harvesters but this is different in the context of this book he is describing not just a taking of some but the utter destruction and the wiping out of a nation. As we look at this, uh, they prided themselves down in verse 7, and they considered themselves safe, but look at their allies. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. They Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you, but you have no understanding. You get this picture here of this, that they had made these treaties and they had these allies and it was part of their pride that we are protected. We are fine. We are fine. Except for the fact that these treaties and these people that they had been with were looking for their destruction. They had deceived them. They had led them astray. They had lied to them. And the picture here is they had no understanding. This is important for us to see sometime, and pride does this to us, is that we can't see clearly. We can't see clearly. Things happen around us, and we might get frustrated, but we don't know why. We we don't know what's happening, and by the time we understand what's happening, it's already happened, and we can do nothing about it. This is what was happening to Edom, the people of Esau. You continue on in verse 8. The Lord declares this. He says, Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau? Then your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman. So that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. You know, uh, we're smart. We, we have these brilliant people around us. And Edom says, well, we'll be fine because we're smarter than everybody else. We've got it figured out. We have strategies and we have forecasts and we're planning for the future. We can do this. God says, You've got to catch that. He declares this. I'm the one against you. And this is, the, this is what's so important for us to get. If you want to compete one another, you can find someone that you can beat. But when you're in your pride, you realize that it's not you against somebody else. It's you against the Lord. And he will not lose. He will not lose. And even though they had brilliant men, educated men, men of wisdom and understanding, they were no match for the Lord. There's, uh, there's a bit of uh, things we could talk about our country now too, huh? You know, we, we're, we're so educated and it makes us powerful. We have people all the time getting smarter than God in our country. 
We have people who belittle and mock the name of the Lord because they've grown past it. You know, that's a silly little idea. And in their mockings and in their pride, they don't realize that God is over all. He's over all. He describes the violence uh, that Edom had done against his brother Jacob. And I want to say that this violence was both passive and aggressive. There were times where Edom, in their pride, they cheered from the sidelines as somebody else went into Jerusalem. There were times where they uh, jumped in line and said, Oh, we'll go too. We'll go too. We'll help wipe them out. There were other times where they stayed at home. There were other times they came in after and they, what did they do? They pillaged. They, they brought home and they stole from God's people. As they looked at this, uh, as they lived this way, Obadiah's message from God to them is that it's because of their violence they had done to their brother that shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. That's the destructions that Proverbs talks about. You look down at verse 15. There's a message or there's a warning for all the nations, which would include us. Which would include us as individuals too if we sit in pride It says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you, and your deeds shall return on your own head. Ungodliness and pride plays itself out, and and even mocks in different places in the Scripture. We see the heart of the proud that says, I'm doing it. What's God going to do about it? Who's going to bring me down? I do this over and over again, and nothing happens. But the warning to the nations and to the proud are this. The day of the Lord is near, is near. And God sees. We're so concerned about what nation thinks about nation. We're so concerned about what we as a group of people think of this topic or that topic. And we've forgotten to ask the question, what does God think about the life that I'm living How does he, uh, when he looks at it, when he sees everything, what does he think about the life that I'm living? And his warning to us in the book of Obadiah is this. To the nations, the Lord is near. And that this connection to what we do and who we are will come back to us. That God sees everything that we do. The judgment will come to the nations. You skip down um, to the last section. As you look at that last section, it talks about uh, a reestablishing of God's blessing to those who have been taken from his people that have been taken from. And it's it's a regime change, if you will, you know, from uh, Mount Esau, that, that it will be a new mount. That, that, that will come down and others will come into worship. 
and the possessions that they once possessed that were taken away, well, now they will possess them again. And we look at this and we see this as God's bringing about his justice. And for us this morning, I think sometimes we wonder, how does all this end? And it ends very simply in the end. Verse 21. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It does not say, it does not say, and the kingdom will be Edom. And the kingdom will be the Lord's people's kingdom, even. You get this. Your name's in there, not in there, and neither is mine. It is not about us building our kingdom. In the end, this life, the way we live, the nations we're a part of, all this goes to one point. And the point is this, it's the kingdom shall be the Lord's, should be his. This morning, I want to give you just a few concluding thoughts to the book of Obadiah. The first one is this, as you consider these things, I want to encourage you that the ungodliness of pride should agitate your soul. The ungodliness of pride should agitate your soul. It should bother you when you see pride. When you see it in nations. You look out among the news and you see the pride raising up an angry fist in front of God. It should agitate your soul. It should agitate your soul if it's our nation. It should agitate your soul in politics. It should agitate your soul in your kids, in your spouse, and it should agitate your soul in yourself. Pride is not something to be trifled with and to be um, joked about. I wanted to ask you, have you heard about Edom lately? You don't hear much of them in the news anymore, do you? In fact, they don't exist anymore. Yeah, there's probably some stragglers here and there that miss the cut. Ultimately, they will be destroyed. There, there, there is no more. We, we see uh, that this coming to pass already, and yet in finality, definitely will come. Have you heard of Edom lately? I haven't. I had to read about it. Ancient book. I read about something that God thought was so important that he pointed it out and then he brought it about and he continues to. I want to tell you, pride's a big deal to God. It's an awful, ugly sin. And he will not tolerate. He will bring about destruction in us. It should agitate our souls. Number two, I want to ask you a question. Does God get to be God in your life? Does God get to be God? Now, I realize some of you realize that that's bordering on blasphemous. As I say it, does God get to be God? And others of you have thought through, he says, well, is it that great of a privilege to be uh, over my pathetic little life? You know, um, I want you to get this. I, I worded it this for a particular reason is this, that some of us, some of you here today are just rejectors of God. You, you came because you, you had to. Your spouse wanted you to come. Your mom wanted you to come. You came for some reason. You, 
needed a cool place to sit or I don't know, you know, some some reject. I want to tell you, I want to tell you that God is God. He's over the nations. He's over Edom. They just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. You know, they said, no, we don't want a God. We're self-sufficient. You may be self-sufficient here today. I want to tell you, you're living in a dream world. You're deceived in your pride. We, there is a God. He is over you. He is over you. You acknowledge that daily as you get to be God over your life. Well, others, others of you, you say, well, yeah, I have a relationship with God. It's kind of like he's, he's my wingman or he's my co-pilot. And, and when I get in trouble or if I get in a situation, I ask him, what do you think? And then as he tells me what he thinks, when I read his word, I kind of decide, should I listen to that or should I not listen to that? Should, should I follow his consultation in my life or should I not follow his consultation in my life? I want to tell you, if that's the way we treat God, we have not acknowledged that he is God. He, we, we, don't, we don't sit side by side. He's over us. He's over us. We are low before him. He says something, we go, thank you for communicating. I obey. You lay it, this is about your plan, not my plan. This is about me listening to you because you are God and I am your, your sheep. And it's a thrill. It's a thrill to be his, just a sheep. Last thing I want to remind you of, and it comes from that last part that I shared with you. God's reign is coming, whether you like it or not. It's coming. He, he, you look at things today, and some of you get so wound up. You're, you're, you're into world events, and you're like, oh, this is happening, and this, that's happening. I, I heard some awful news this last week. I mean, this is, some of you were bothered about this. You heard there's going to be a bacon shortage in the uh, years to come. Whoa. Oh, no, what are we going to do? There's going to be all kinds of things happening. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, God's reign is coming. God's not fretting in heaven watching the events. Or he, he does see the events. I want you to, he doesn't have to watch the news, but he sees the events. In fact, it's working out exactly to his plan. Hard to imagine, right? But as he's working out his plan, as he's working out his plan, you've got to get this. You need to know that it will come to fruition for his reign to come over everything. You get that? Super important for us to remember. It's not you going to go figure it all out. It's not you uh, working out your plan for your life and everyone's life around you. It is God at work at his plan and he will bring it to fruition in his own time and plan according to his good purposes, not yours. I share this with you this morning because I believe that for us, uh, we need to hear that God's in charge of everything and not us. Let me read to you just one small part of the book of Obadiah, verse 21, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's.
Let's pray. God, this morning as we've looked to your word, um, some of the words seem foreign to us, the concepts uh, just so different than we think. God, I pray this morning that you would just continue to work this out in our hearts. If there's any here this morning that don't know you and uh, don't want to know you, God, I pray that they hear the message for Edom and to the nations and that they repent and they give up come before you low, humble, that God, would you be my God? For those of us here this morning that are uh, still uh, fighting with you in our pride, thinking that you are consulting in our life and somehow giving us tips for living instead of seeing you as the most high God that we must listen and obey, worship, God, reorder us, straighten out our thoughts, replace them with your own. God, I pray that we would stay fixed on the idea that your kingdom will reign. Though this may seem out of control today, Lord, you're over all. And may we never say as Edom, who can bring us down, but rather may we acknowledge you, the God who can bring anyone down at any time according to your desires and plans. Thank you for this morning. Continue to work in our heart, we pray. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.